Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another week of Sisters in Crime. It's been a long two weeks since we've been gone, but um, your girl started a new job. She's trying to figure that out. Kate and I went to Philly for five days. That was pretty cool. Um, We went and saw the Muter Museum of like weird oddities or something. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're in the Philadelphia area, I highly recommend checking that out. I wanted, we were going to try and go to um, the Eastern State Penitentiary, but it was closed on Monday. Um, Yeah, that was a bummer. We've been there before. Again, highly recommend that place too. But um, as you all know, my name is Sarah and I'm joined by Kate. Hello. And this week, I'm going to be talking about a serial sniper who pleaded guilty to five counts of murder in Ohio and was sentenced to life in prison with no chance of parole for 165 years on July 12th, 1993. We are talking about Thomas Lee Dillon. Thomas was born on July 9, 1950 in Canton, Ohio. His father died of Hodgkin's disease when Thomas was about 15 months old. He viewed his mother as a, quote, cold woman who never praised or punished him, end quote. He has no memories of his mother ever hugging him, kissing him, or telling him she loved him. Classmates remember him as an extremely intelligent individual, but also a loner, and him, quote, marching to the beat of a different drummer, separated from the mainstream, end quote. Um, I feel like, well, you said that he was never praised or punished, so that's neglect. And right. I feel like that's almost worse than um, a parent that, like, mistreats you or abuses yeah. you. It's, it's yeah. a different abuse, for sure. Like, it's still abuse, but it's, like, a different, so they're looking for something different. Yeah, when you're a child and you're just neglected by the people who are supposed to take care of you, that has a long-lasting, like, effect on you. Right. Thomas always had a love for hunting. In the book, Hunter of Humans, The True Story of Thomas Lee Dillon by David Lore, it mentions he simply liked to kill and enjoyed watching animals suffer. He began keeping count of the animals he killed on a calendar in his bedroom as a teenager, where he also kept a separate calendar listing all the girls he had had sex with. Now, part of me <laughs> thinks the, the calendar of animal killings is l- maybe a little bit more true than the um, girls he'd had sex with. <laughs> right. <laughs> After college, he got a job as a draftsman, and for those of you who don't know what a draftsman is, it's a skilled professional who produces technical drawings based on the designs of architects or engineers, and he um, got that job for the Canton Water Department, and six years later, he married Catherine Elsis. By the early 1980s, Thomas began boasting to friends that the count of his death calendar had reached 500. He graduated from the Ohio Peace Officers Training with expert markmanship. By the mid-1980s, several of Tom's neighbors complained to police that he was killing their dogs, which... (sighs) Yeah. We're not even going to get into that because... But that's how it always starts, the animals. That is how it always starts. And I swear if somebody ever hurt Aries, I might go to jail. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. (laughs) (laughs) 
We'll keep that to ourselves. <laughs> but same. Who's there with Theoretically. me? Come on. Yeah. I think my dog is my child. Like, don't freaking touch him. Oh, don't yeah. Don't breathe his air. Yeah. They're so innocent and just, they literally. Right. Yeah. They're too good for humans, honestly. They really are. Back to the story, though. <laughs> Even though Tom loved to boast about his killings and how many animals he killed, it seemed he was actually terrible at it. A man who had hunted with him before recalled Tom being a bad hunter. Quote, he would shoot at farmers' cats after getting permission to hunt on their land. He just didn't care. End quote. Thomas shot so often that he had permanently damaged his hearing. The man recalls Thomas getting a physical thrill out of killing, which, as we know, is the norm for these types of individuals. Tom would later admit setting more than 100 fires and killing more than 1,000 pets and farm animals. His trips through the backwoods of Ohio were also always taken alone, and he would stop on his way to buy beer. So he would go on this booze cruise through the backwoods of Ohio, and um, Just he set would fire or that, and then he would also imagine like these fantasy lives, and like this is kind of where I like want to get into the mind of Tom. I came across an article that talked about how he viewed himself, and Tom liked to cruise the back roads with his beer of southeastern Ohio, pretending he was something he was not, like a multimillionaire, a life-saving scientist who cured AIDS, or maybe even a Super Bowl-winning quarterback. That's interesting. So Super Bowl-winning quarterback, huh? Right. He had a very colorful imagination yeah i'd say so multi-millionaire life-saving science yeah who cured aids who cured aids tom so, honey uh, frequently driving reality <laughs> there is no reality is optional for him so frequently driving hundreds of miles immersed in his own thoughts tom also liked to envision himself as a special forces soldier out hunting for enemy combatants oh what no one knew for three years during the late 1980s and early 1990s was that as far as his soldier slash hunter fantasy was concerned, Tom had crossed over into reality. Mm. It wasn't until April 1989 when Tom started preying on humans. He started killing campers, outdoorsmen, and joggers. These killings went on for three years, and in those three years, a joint local, state, and federal task force was established to investigate the murders of five men Tom had shot with a high-powered rifle. Wow. Tom decided to commit his first murder near New Philly, which is a quiet community about 100 miles south of Cleveland. It was April 1st, 1989, when Tom found Donald Welling, who was taking a jog. Don was 35, and Tom claimed it was, quote, simply an urge prompted by a voice in his head, end quote. Okay. It's kind of like um, the son of Sam when he says, like, the dog told him or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Tom recalls the event. He was driving and came up on Don. Don said, what's up? And that's when the little voice in his head told him to shoot him. Tom's next two victims happened pretty close to each other. One was in St. Clairsville, which is a small town near the Ohio-West Virginia border. There he shot Jamie Paxton, who had been hunting. The next victim was Kevin Loring. He had also um, 
been hunting in Muskingum County, which is west of St. Clairsville. Kevin was 30 years old and was actually from Massachusetts and was in Ohio on this hunting trip. Oh, that's so sad. They're all sad, but especially just like trying to right. have a little fun. Like you're not even from the area and this is what right. happens. It's just wrong place, wrong time. Tom got that little voice in his head again on March 14th, 1992, when he saw 49-year-old Claude Hawkins fishing in a pond in Conshocton County. Claude waved to Tom as he drove by. The voice in his head said, go back and get him. Tom couldn't help but listen, and he turned around, walked up to Claude, and shot him in the back. Claude had four children at home. Since he was killed on federal land, the FBI was called in. Agent Harry Trumbettis from the Columbus Field Office recalls searching and never finding any shell casings. And that's when he knew immediately that the suspect was evidence conscience enough to pick up after himself. He even mentioned that they were, quote, dealing with a different brand of person. Yeah. End quote. It's crazy. Nearly a month later, Tom chose Gary Bradley, a 44-year-old steel worker and father, Tom saw Gary fishing and decided that it was just time to end his life. That little like, voice. Why? It's like people that are just being peaceful and doing just like normal. Well, Kate, okay, because things. he had that little voice in his head. Don't you get that little voice in your head? Right. I mean, mine usually tells me that I need to flee to like a warm area. But if I did mine? that every time, I wouldn't have any money or a job. <laughs> Mine tells me to stop eating the chips, but I continue it anyway. Yeah, same. (laughs) So Tom later had the bright idea to write an anonymous letter to a local newspaper about his killing of Jamie Paxton. It was a two-page typescript address to the Times Leader, which is actually in Martins Ferry, Ohio. Um, It was also addressed to Sheriff McCourt and the Paxtons. The letter said, quote, I am the murderer of Jamie Paxton. Jimmy was a complete stranger to me. I never saw him before in my life, and he never said a word to me that Saturday. The motive for the murder was this, the murder itself. Paxton was killed because of an irresistible compulsion that has taken over my life. I knew when I left my house that day that someone would die by my hand. I just didn't know who or where. Technically, I meet the definition of a serial killer, three or more victims with a cooling off period in between. But I'm an average-looking person with a family, job, and home just like yourself. Something in my head causes me to turn into a merciless killer with no conscience. Five minutes after I shot Paxton, I was drinking a beer and had blacked out all thoughts of what I had just done out of my mind. I thought no more of shooting Paxton than shooting a bottle at the dump. End quote. I'm very put off by that. He's super self-aware, obviously. He does not care. Like, I meet the definition of a serial killer? Mm -hmm. Um, okay. (laughs) The Behavioral Sciences Unit of the FBI prepared a profile in hopes of stimulating the investigation. And here's what they came up with. The two dozen points in the profile described the killer not only as an educated white male, Dylan had a college degree, but as someone with predilection of crimes such as arson and killing pets and farm animals the profile however was not perfect it predicted that the killer lived within a short distance of all the crimes and tom lived as far away as 150 miles 
and that the murderer would be in his 20s. And Tom was 42 when he was arrested. He might be a nominal family man, but was likely a loner. He had a drinking problem and a history of compulsive vandalism and arson. Stress would trigger the shootings, which usually would be committed while he was drunk. This profile still didn't pull very many leads in the investigation, and it wasn't until August 1992 when a high school friend of Tom's called in a tip. Richard Fry was his name, and he had mentioned Tom's animal slaughters and preoccupation with serial killers. Tom would often confide in Richard when his murderous thoughts bring up topics like asking Richard if he thought Tom could kill or have killed someone. Richard described the look in Tom's eyes as dark, and it gave him a chill in his blood. It took Richard 29 months of calling in tips for a county detective to have a solid lead. The first clue linking Tom to the crime was that his off-duty and vacation time matched the dates of the killings. The FBI followed Tom for about a month and watched him buy guns, drive around aimlessly and shoot at stop signs, animals, electric meters, and even take pot shops at populated areas. Tom ended up visiting Kevin Loring's grave in Massachusetts. And remember, this was the guy on the hunting trip in Ohio mm-hmm. that was from Massachusetts. Yeah. Eventually, Tom was arrested on a federal weapons charge. He was awaiting sentencing for possessing a silencer when he announced that he was their suspect to their serial shootings. A press conference was held asking anyone who had sold firearms to Tom to come forward. They'd used these firearms to test and compare to the weapons used on Tom's victims. A gun dealer had brought in a Swedish Mosser rifle that he had brought that he had bought off of Tom. Ballistics tests came back confirming that it was the rifle used to kill Gary Bradley and Claude Hawkins. Tom was indicted on capital charges in both cases. Tom pleaded guilty to five counts of murder and was sentenced to five consecutive life terms. Quote, I have major problems, he said at the time. I'm crazy. I want to kill. I want to kill. He blamed a turbulent childhood for his problems. Tom also publicly said he was afraid to be sent to Southern Ohio Correctional Facility in Lucasville. It was known for a murderous riot just a few years before he was caught. In response to his concerns, family members of his victims began a petition drive to have him sent there. More than 8,000 Ohioans signed the petitions, which the state of Ohio honored. Tom's lawyer requested a psych evaluation, and this was the summary. What you see is someone who looks and presents in a way that seems frightening, frighteningly normal, Dr. Jeffrey Smalden, a psychologist, said. And the reality is that most of the people who commit crimes like those that Tom committed come across just that way. Smalden says that Tom was, quote, very smart, an IQ of around 135 in the superior range of intelligence. But Dr. Smalden says Tom was not insane because he knew what he was doing was wrong. What Dylan did, murder at least five strangers from 1989 to 1992. He was completely aware. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is like he... Most, I feel like most serial killers, especially the ones that we've already talked about, don't, like, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate this. I don't know. Like, he said that, um... He's narcissistic, for sure. Yeah, and the fact that he just, like, is very aware, he's, like, he... Oh, yeah. Exactly what he said. He knows what he's doing is wrong. It's almost like he has remorse, but not really. Oh, Yeah. It's it's the little voice in his head's fault. Mm-hmm. I think that's what he thinks. It's my childhood. 
Kate, I want you to read this conversation that Tom had with an investigator once he was caught and arrested. How far away was he from you when you shot him? An investigator asked. 75 feet, maybe, Tom answered. Where did you shoot him at? Right between the eyes. Is that where you aimed for? Yes. Did you walk up to him and look at him? No, didn't come close. But you're sure he was dead? Yeah, yeah. His hat blew straight up about 20 feet. I knew I I had to blow his whole head off. What you see on this videotape is someone who looks and presents in a way that seems frighteningly normal. And the reality is that most of the people who commit crimes like those that Tom committed come across just that way, says Dr. Smalden. So he's talking about one of his victims and I had to blow his whole head off. Like there's no remorse. Yeah, and it's like, yep, just had to. There was no other option. Tom never cared for any of his victims when they were alive. But once he killed them, he had a fascination with their lives. He would go to their hometowns, investigate on what kind of person they were. He would visit their gravestones, especially the one from Massachusetts. When Tom was asked why he wrote the letter to the newspaper, he said he didn't realize Paxton was only 21 years old and he felt bad that he was that young. He said, I felt bad about the kid, you know? I didn't know he was that young. I couldn't see how old he was from a distance. I thought he was 30, 35. I didn't know he was that young. Blew that kid away, you know? He had his whole life ahead of him, and I blew him away, you know? I felt sorry for him. End quote. Dr. Uh, Smalden says... Yeah. Dr. Smalden says Tom wrote the letter to almost insert himself into the investigation toy with investigators and brag by Tom using the letter as a quote, here I am, but catch me if you can. An investigator asked Tom if he hadn't been caught, would there be more victims? Tom replied, probably. Tom was offered a deal. Plead guilty and the state wouldn't seek the death penalty. The videotape confession goes for nearly four hours, where at one point Tom seems eager to see autopsy photographs. Here is a short dialogue between Tom and the investigator. Kate, why don't you go ahead and read this? Investigator, you want to see the autopsy pictures? Tom, just, I want to see them all. Show them all to me. All right. I never saw them in color. What the hell? Investigator, okay, we'll show you some pictures. Not the neatest job in the world, was it? Hmm. Investigator, the shooting? And yeah, it's not. Tom, no, this autopsy. Jeez, dirty job, I'll tell you. Tom never has a straight answer when investigators asked why he killed. His response to them asking if he has any remorse is no feelings whatsoever. They were just there. The wrong place at the wrong time. Dr. Smalden admits, I think he's holding back because he wants to remain a puzzle. He would ask me, have you ever met anyone as complicated as me? Can you understand this? Am I, is this behavior as perplexing as to you as it is to me? There's never been a crime like this in Ohio, has there? No motive, no contact with the victims. How could you figure that out? And then he would shrug and say, I don't know. 
Thomas Lee Dillon was sentenced to five terms of 30 years to life for aggravated murder, 15 years additional for gun specification to the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility, where he died at the age of 61 on October 21st, 2011. From prison, Tom was, had continued to write to Dr. Smaldon. He now says he wishes he had gotten help when he needed it, and he's sorry for how the murders ruined his own family, at least. Still, Dr. Smaldon says many mysteries remain. He thinks there is a, quote, good chance that he may have committed other murders, end quote. So that's the story of Thomas Lee Dillon, and I am super glad that he was sentenced to that Southern Ohio Correctional Facility where he was so afraid to go. Yeah, that was awesome that they signed the petition and all that. Yeah. So that's this week's episode. And guys, we have a very special surprise for you coming in the next couple of weeks. I don't want to say anything, but I am so excited for it. I can't wait for you guys to to hear the surprise. So again, you can already rate us on Apple Podcasts. Go ahead and do that. You can now rate on Spotify. Go ahead and do that. Give us that little five stars. Um, because you you love us so much um we are always accepting new episode recommendations so even if i don't post something on our instagram story feel free to dm us um at sisters in crime pod sisters letter in crime pod um and we will see you next week for a k episode yeah see you all next week Bye. Bye.